Welcome to this week's podcast and we are moving through menopause. I'm here today talking with Lavinia Winch about intimate health and uh, Lavinia is an ambassador of the Yes Company. Thank you Lavinia for coming along and having a chat today. Very happy to be with you Philippa. I mentioned that uh, my particular interest is in menopause, but you quite rightly pointed out to me that intimate health isn't just an issue for the menopause time of our lives. Actually, we can be affected at at any time. And I I think you've got your own story to tell about this. Uh, Well, I have, yes. I think that what we have to remember is that our intimate health is very closely connected to our hormonal health. And our hormones go through very many different changes through our lives. And in fact, for for me, the first time I became aware of any issues that were challenging for me was um, after I had my first baby and um, I was breastfeeding. And when we came round to having sex again a little while later, things felt quite uncomfortable. And I didn't realise, and I think very few people do realise, that when you're breastfeeding, your oestrogen levels are very low because you're not ovulating. And that can cause dryness. So, you know, breastfeeding, uh, perhaps if you're on antidepressants, this can affect um, your intimate health. Other times, perhaps when you're very stressed and anxious about things, we've talked about the perimenopause and menopause, and also very importantly for women that have had cancer treatment, this is a time when the cancer treatment has affected their hormones, um, and this can be a really challenging time. Yeah, so... Dryness is definitely a symptom that many, many women will encounter. Dryness uh, in the area of the vulva and the vagina. And so the good news is there are things that we can do (laughs) to make our lives more comfortable. And uh, we mentioned intercourse, but it isn't even always just about that, is it? No, there are some people that, um, particularly around menopause uh, stage, can suffer from really quite severe dryness, which can be known as vaginal atrophy. And these women describe it actually being uncomfortable to walk or to sit down even. So it can be very, very severe. Um, But yeah, menopause would be the the time when you might start to feel this sort of symptom for the first time. Mm. I know from my experience, I did breastfeed both my children and it wasn't something that I recall uh, encountering. But it's interesting, the stress piece of the puzzle, isn't it, as well? Because we know that cortisol takes away from the oestrogen and and so the oestrogen levels can be impacted at times like that. And you wouldn't necessarily have put those two things together. No, I think that very often it's not until we experience these these things that we start to investigate. And because it's still a little bit of a taboo subject to talk to our friends about, we may search a little bit on Google or we might think this is just normal. And I think that's a very important thing is that you need to remember what is the normal thing for you. And if this is something that you haven't experienced before, there's been a change, then it's worth investigating. Yeah, and not just settling either for the idea that, oh, this is just something that happens to us as we get older, because there is so much nowadays that we can do to, uh, to manage these symptoms and this condition. So what, what kinds of things are on offer? 
Well, I think maybe the first thing to think about is the diagnosis. So what can be mistaken for vaginal dryness is thrush. So the symptoms of vaginal dryness can sometimes be a soreness and an itchiness. And what you might think is that you have thrush. So you go to your GP and you're prescribed some canistin or some type of antifungal. And that can actually be quite stingy when you apply something like that. So you'll then get a little bit of a reaction to that. And if it wasn't thrush, if it actually was just the beginnings of some vaginal dryness, then the thrush treatment is not gonna do any good. So the first line treatment, and this is according to the NICE guidelines for vaginal dryness would be vaginal moisturizers as a regular treatment, and then a lubricant if you're sexually active and you want sex to be more comfortable. Forgive me for not knowing the answer to this. Uh, Dryness, like I say, it's not been on my radar, but uh, now that I'm 53, and as you quite rightly pointed out, I am now officially post-menopausal. It is definitely worth having this on my radar. The moisturizers we apply to the skin uh, in the area of the vulva around the vagina. Is that what we're saying? They are actually for the vagina. They are for use internally. So they are available on prescription and there is a range of different uh, vaginal moisturizers. Um, Very unfortunately, some of them have ingredients in them which are not particularly kind to the vagina. And some people will find that they actually can irritate more. Mm. It's really important that a vaginal moisturizer doesn't contain glycerin or glycols. These are the things that can be quite irritating and they also should be pH balanced. Mm. Now you would presume that anything that is available on prescription would be appropriate, but unfortunately (laughs) the pharmaceutical companies haven't necessarily taken enough care to really, really make sure. So there are, there are a range. And I I would obviously say that, uh, that our vaginal moisturizer is formulated to be really vagina friendly. It is formulated without glycerin and without glycols and so a vaginal moisturizer will be used on a regular basis so you either apply it with your fingers or some of them come with a reusable applicator or a one-off applicator and you would use it as often as necessary so if your symptoms are very mild it might only be twice a week but if your symptoms are quite severe you would apply it nightly they don't have any sort of medical you know although it's on prescription they are also available over the counter so you Mm. can use them as often as you like it's really as needed the comfort sort of thing yeah so uh, just let's backpedal us very slightly and talk about some of the symptoms because how do we know this is what's going on how do we know because I mentioned the skin not knowing because that's where I feel if I'm going to be dry that's where I'm feeling it but then I'm dry all over my whole body <laughs> yeah I mean that is that is the result of of the estrogen starting to to lessen and so we will get our hair will be drier our skin will be drier but it's just that we haven't thought about an area of our body that you would normally feel is maybe quite comfortably moist whether we're talking internally it does affect so the lack of estrogen affects that area as well mm. but again Again, we haven't been educated to understand that that might need some moisturizing as well as our our normal skin. So the tissue inside the vagina is called mucosal 
tissue. It's much thinner. It doesn't have the protective layer that the, our external skin has. And the vulval skin is fairly similar to our normal skin around the outside. But once you're talking about the sort of the entrance to the vagina and the inner labia, that area is mucosal tissue as well. Wow. And mucosal tissue is very sensitive to ingredients and products that you put on it so you have to be very careful which is why we are never advised to wash inside the vagina and we should be very careful about what we wash the vulva with but we can talk about that perhaps a little bit later mm. but you wanted to talk about more about the symptoms so that that dryness it can just feel a little bit of chafing as you're walking along. The skin, as we get older inside the vagina, doesn't just become drier, it actually becomes much thinner. Mm. Um, the skin becomes much thinner. So you could feel just a little bit that, that things are rubbing inside. And this is just without necessarily having intercourse. Um, the other symptom that people don't know about and is very common is a little bit of a sense of urgency and frequency of um, the bladder. Because the bladder and the urethra also have estrogen receptors in them, the same sort of feeling of the fact that it just feels a little bit more uncomfortable is also a sign of vaginal dryness. And that can also be helped with just keeping that whole area moist as well. Oh, okay. Hadn't, hadn't really thought of that. No, it's, it's, it's not well known, but it's becoming more known. So that in fact, um, vaginal dryness or vaginal atrophy used to be called vaginal vulval atrophy. And about five years ago, the North American Menopause Society and the British Menopause Society came up with a new term and it's genitourinary syndrome of menopause. So it's GSM. And that is to make sure that people understand that the urinary tract is also part of the symptoms so that you can have as a, as a result of dryness. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, uh, like you say, this is not a topic that you would normally chat about over coffee, is it? But it's so, so important that so many women are suffering without knowing. And so to, you know, dispel some of the myths. I suppose for me as well, I'm really keen that we can prevent issues. And I know that uh, sometimes uh, the kind of products that are available regards toilet papers, for instance, scented toilet papers. I suffer with eczema and I have done for forever. And so I have to use non-biological washing uh, for my clothing. I have to, uh, I certainly can't have scented toilet paper and uh, shower gels and such like. But this is something I've always had to contend with. Whereas for women who have previously coped perfectly well with biological washing powder and uh, synthetic underwear and, you know, whatever you want to talk about, this might be a time when the tolerance is decreased. And so even simple measures such as, uh, you know, cotton gusset in the underwear and uh, ventilation is important, isn't it, in the night time, say, for instance? Yeah, and I think um, fabric conditioners is another thing. I would never put fabric conditioner in my underwear. Um, and actually, even one of the vulval dermatologists, when I was suffering from the results of using non-friendly lubricants right the way through until I became menopausal even, uh, was not to wear black knickers. There's something in the dye in knickers that can irritate as well. 
So, you know, who would have known that? That's something to think about as well. But you're right. Yeah, the the whole of our skin can change. And for those of us who have particularly sensitive skin, then the area around the vulva can be problematic for any type of, of sort of feminine hygiene products. It's best to avoid anything perfumed anything with glycerin so you shouldn't be washing with soap you should wash either just simply with water or with a product that has been designed without glycerin without glycols without soap and ph balance that's the other thing the the ph of the vagina should be around about 4.5 it's fairly acidic to help prevent infections Mm. and if you mess around with that by using products internally or even externally you can throw the balance and if that area becomes more alkaline you're much more inclined to get a thrush or a urinary tract infection or even bacterial vaginosis which is a a very nasty infection right and I think you did allude then to the fact that you suffered for quite some time with guidance uh, to use certain products that actually were were counterproductive Well, I'm going to be brave and mention the dreaded KY because that is the product that people think of when they think of a sexual lubricant. Mm. And it really was designed to be used short term in in hospitals. Mm. And it does contain ingredients that can be very irritating. So, yeah, that was my problem. In 1980, when I had my first child, that was the only product that was available. And to be fair, honestly, until 2003, when the founders of the Yes Company looked at what was going on, what ingredients were in lubricants and formulated their range with bioadhesive gels and gums. They're they're plant-based gums. Mm. That was the move away from the glycols and the glycerin and the synthetic chemical products. But I didn't realize, and my doctors and specialists just didn't ever ask me that question, what products I was using. And I think, Philippa, it's really good to mention the other thing that can cause irritation are sanitary products. Oh, yes. So, you know, some of them are are bleached with chlorine. Mm. So if you have any sensitivity in that area, it's really good to go for the organic products. And there are now about five companies that make organic sanitary products, so tampons and pads. Mm. I don't know if you've come across them at all. Yes, I've certainly (laughs) heard of them. Uh, But I am reminded of the fact that, again, sanitary products are becoming something that is increasingly perfumed. You know, I do online shopping and the Tesco person who was offering me a substitution obviously had no idea that I would uh, have a reaction to these scented panty liners or whatever I received. And Ah, it's appalling. Oh, I mean, why are we perfuming them anyway? Well, that's a big issue because, you know, because the companies that make money from them would like to make us feel shameful about the way we, we might smell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I, I would like to mention some of the products because they are, there's a product called NatraCare, which has been around for about 30 years. That's, a, that's an organic range of sanitary products. There's uh, My Frida, there's organic, uh, there's Time of the Month. TRM it's called Um, and so there are about five or six companies now they are a little bit more expensive but they are really thinking carefully about what what are in their in their products much better for people with sensitive skin yeah and and I mean I think this is increasingly a trend that we're moving towards thinking about the things that we're putting into our bodies Uh, and so whichever orifice it happens to be I think 
I think that's absolutely important. And I definitely favor natural approaches wherever possible. And so I know that some of the products, uh, we have choices uh, around whether they might be water-based or oil-based product. Can you explain to me something a little bit about the, the differences? Yes, I will. So um, most lubricants are water-based. So water will be the first ingredient on the list. And then what else they put in to make them slippery or slidey or make sure that the pH balance is is correct is what you want to be a little bit careful about. But a water-based product will get absorbed fairly quickly. So it feels very natural but it will get absorbed and you might have to reapply. So if you're feeling really quite dry and uncomfortable in terms of of a lubricant for sex, then you might need to reapply. Um, But an oil-based lubricant, and when I say oil-based, it must be plant-based oils. We're not talking about baby oil or Vaseline or any mineral oils that are derived from petrochemicals. These are pure plant-based oils. So whether you want to use olive oil or coconut oil or our yes oil based is sunflower oil sweet almond oil shea butter cocoa butter and beeswax it's designed to be a long lasting lubricant so it it comes out of the tube a little bit like a cream and it softens into an oil it can't be used with condoms because all oil based products can deteriorate the condom but for a longer lasting more luxurious even more comfortable to take away any friction um, a plant oil based product is a very good alternative it doesn't feel quite as natural as the water but it's very often a personal choice and you know from our customers it, it's probably even half and half the oil base is also very good for the vulva because it's almost like a luxurious night cream <laughs> so you can use it every night or in the morning and it it's a really lovely product for people that have a little bit of, of soreness or irritation as long as they've checked that it isn't thrush. Yeah, and that would be um, a swab from the doctor. That would be a swab. Or, mm. you know, if you've had thrush before and you're happy to try a, a, um, an antifungal cream and it goes away, then you know it was a, a bit of thrush. But if it's something that keeps happening, then mm. it is quite possibly something else that's going on. It can be a little bit of eczema. And actually, if you're getting a lot of irritation around the vulva, you should go to your doctor and you should have it checked in case it's a skin condition called lichen sclerosis which can, in some cases, lead to a vulval cancer. So lichen sclerosis is where the skin is actually changing its makeup a little bit. You have some white, shiny bits. It's very well recognized by GPs. Mm. Uh, On the whole, it's becoming Mm. more common, and it's more common after menopause. So never sort of think that it's normal to have a lot of irritation or soreness or changes in your vulva. And to be honest, everybody should check their vulva every month with a mirror. The mirror. Yeah, the mirror. It's really important to to just notice any changes and just have a good look and see that everything is, is, is as it usually is. Yeah, I mean, we talk about regularly examining our breasts, don't we, and uh, and the testicles for men, but equally the uh, the skin in and around the vulva, the <laughs> it's got out my head clitoris. Yes, because we can have cancer of the clitoris. Yeah, you can have cancer common. of the vagina and the vulva as well. So yeah, really important. A mirror on a regular basis, yeah. and this does come as 
something that some people find quite difficult if they haven't been brought up to feel comfortable with their own bodies mm. the thought of actually looking with a mirror can be quite challenging for people so we need to educate our children and to feel that it's completely normal and be familiar with what what things look like yeah well exactly as a physiotherapist I've often seen the back of people uh, and you know when people live alone and and they don't have anybody else uh, looking at them we're trained to look for skin cancers and such like because I might be the only person that looks at the the back of their body and really so really good yeah well yeah so have a look at your skin wherever it happens to be give yourself an inspection on a regular basis because there you know these things although they're not common if that was to be happening to you then you would want to know about it yeah Absolutely. Obviously, um, you talked about the water base and I, I came across a term called osmolality. <laughs> I, know, I know you know what this is because you've had a it's, lot of training. Yes. Well, it, there's an interesting story behind that because Sarah, who founded our company, is a chemist by background. So she understood about the importance of products that you are going to be using on the vagina and, and the vulva where our tissue is not the same as our external tissue but in 2015 we were approached by a leading sexual health doctor called David Edwards he wanted to write a, a review article for the climacteric which is the International Menopause Society's official medical journal and he wanted to write about the importance of formulation in lubricants and vaginal moisturizers for menopausal women, because he felt quite rightly that very few GPs or even gynecologists even had looked or thought about the different types of products available. Mm. So he did the research and we sent a whole lot of products off for independent testing for their pH and the osmolality. And if I could try very simply to explain what osmolality is, I mean, we'll, we've probably all heard of osmosis. And I think of osmosis because I remember camping in a tent and it was pouring with rain outside and I put my finger on the, on the tent and by putting my finger on the tent, it changed something in the membranes and the water started to come through. So it's to do with the measuring of the amount of particles that there are in a solution. And our vaginal tissue has a certain osmolality. Uh, it's around between 260 and 290. If you put a product into the vagina that has a higher amount of particles to the solution, what the membrane tries to do is it tries to equal out on both sides. So what will happen is that moisture will be pulled from the tissue into the liquid that you have inserted. And what you will do then is make the, the, the tissue drier than it was and it's the products that have got a very high value of osmolality that will be having them glycols and glycerin. Those are the things that have a very high osmolality. So it is actually very difficult to find any products that are balanced for osmolality and pH uh, because it just hasn't caught on yet amongst the big manufacturing companies that this is something that's really important. So even the most well-known vaginal moisturizer that is on prescription has a very high osmolality and what happens by pulling the moisture away is that you can actually make little tiny tears in the epithelium in the cells of the of the vagina mm. so it's really important that whatever you put inside the vagina is matched to the vaginal osmolality and in fact the world health organization released a paper advising this as well 
And, and that review article that was in the International Menopause Society Journal has now been read online 12,000 times by doctors mm -hmm. and cited in another 70 articles. So it's a, an outstanding piece of research in that. It case. is. And the message is getting out there. You now, if I go and do a talk to healthcare professionals and I mention osmolality, you know, you can see the light bulb go out. They all understand. Anybody that's done a science, has a science background, would understand the importance of that. Yeah. And, but I think it makes perfect sense when you talk about the tent <laughs> and the finger. The water came through. Yeah. And the main thing just to remember is the ingredients. If you avoid the glycerins and the glycols, then it's much more likely that right. any product you're using will be a much lower osmolality. Yeah, that's wonderful. And, and I think the thing to note is that lubricants, moisturisers clearly have a part to play that actually... We have pelvic floor muscle training exercises that we, we really need to add that into the mix, don't we? Oh, completely. And in fact, the women's health physios who are trained specifically in the pelvic floor work and the importance of the pelvic floor, they are actually our biggest advocates. They are able to talk to women about these issues. And we work really closely with them. We, you know, we go to all their conferences and we send samples to them so that they can discuss it with their patients and give them samples so that they can try. But the pelvic floor, hugely important in terms of women's health and intimate health. Yeah, training the muscles will increase the circulation to the area. Anything that increases the circulation to the area is a good thing. <laughs> Absolutely. It, yeah. it goes hand in hand with general intimate health. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Anything that you think you'd like to add? Um, I think it's important when people are trying a new product for the first time that they do a patch test on the inside of their arm. Just use a tiny bit, first of all, around the vulva. And if you experience a reaction, then you probably know that that product is not for you. But don't be afraid to try another one. So try until you find something that works for you. Yeah, I think that's really good advice, actually. The inside of your forearm or the inside yeah. of your thigh uh, is, are the most sensitive bits of you. And then, like you say, just don't go the whole hog the first time. <laughs> <laughs> just, Definitely. Just in case. And I mean, I've, I've had to be very aware of this the whole, whole of my life, you know, new products to be wary of them. Um, but if that's not been your history, then uh, then do just be aware. So in the event that moisturization and lubrication doesn't achieve the results that you were hoping for or expecting, then is there anything else that women can try? There is indeed, yes. Um, I mentioned the NICE guidelines earlier that talk about first-line treatment would be vaginal moisturisers and lubricants. And after that, the next would be topical oestrogen. So that is vaginal oestrogen that is applied just purely to the vagina. Very, very little of that gets absorbed into your system. So it's considered to be very safe, even for people who are advised to not have oestrogen systemically. And the most common form is a little tiny pessary that you use every day for two weeks and then twice a week or perhaps two to three times a week after that. And that's called Vagifem and it's only available on prescription. Mm -hmm. Then there are companies now also on prescription that provide little ovules that will just release the oestrogen slowly. 
there's an estrogen ring that gets applied up against the cervix and that releases estrogen slowly over three months and again gets replaced either by a nurse or some people are happy to do that themselves. And then there are estrogen creams that you can apply either internally or also around the vulva as well. So topical or vaginal estrogen only available on prescription is your next solution for the vaginal dryness or atrophy. Mm. And I think it's the case that these are things that we'll we'll continue to have to use. Uh, This is not something we're going to grow out of, is it? Unfortunately not. And again, the the NICE guidelines make that clear that GPs should advise their patients that if you stop using these these products, then the symptoms will will return. And in fact, you can use vaginal moisturizers in combination with topical estrogen. So if you're using the topical estrogen twice a week, you can use the vaginal moisturizers on the other days. All oh, right. So not on the same day, perhaps. Not probably on the same day, because it might interfere with the yeah. uh, release of the estrogen from the pessary or from the ovule. But on the other days, absolutely fine. And I, I think this is what I might have gleaned from some of the uh, research that I've done, that people are using these two things in tandem. It's certainly the lubricants, you know, you, the vaginal estrogen is not necessarily going to be enough to make sex really comfortable on its own so you still would want to probably want to use a lubricant for sex yeah yeah okay well i think we've just about covered it (laughs) hopefully hopefully and uh and actually there are lots of really good resources available aren't there i will make reference to resources in the uh in the notes to this podcast so that people can you know do their own research as much as we can to empower and inform women to go ahead and take their lives into their own hands and uh, do whatever is necessary it's really important that people have that permission you're the expert of your body you've had it all this time and you know how it responds and reacts and you know what's normal for you And so when things start to deviate from that, you know, in whatever way, in appearance, sensation, whatever, then then that's the time to think, uh, actually, is there something I can do? And you know what? Now there is. There's so much we can do. So thank you so much for your time today, Lavinia. I've I've really enjoyed our conversation. I hope to speak again. Thank you. I'm sure we will. Thank you. Thank you. 